0: Welcome to SEO success stories my name is Russ McCumber and every two weeks we talk search engine optimization with the world's leading SEO practitioners we interview a mix of in-house SEO leads from the world's biggest brands and SEO thought leaders many from leading search technology brands plus the world's foremost SEO educators they'll all be lifting the hood on their own SEO journey as well as sharing the tips and tricks behind how the best and brightest minds in SEO go about their trade of dominating the SERP. SEO nerds, this one's for you. G'day, everyone. So welcome to SEO Success Stories. My name's Russ McCumber. My co-host here, Gabriel Grossman. I'm in Texas. Gabe is in Melbourne. G'day, Gabe. G'day, mate. How are you over there in Texas? What's the weather like? Uh, weather is not too bad. It's winter, but it's starting to warm up. So doing well. We've also got Kate Toon here. Kate, quick hello, and I'll throw a curly question at you. I throw at every guest.
1: Hello. <laughs>
0: <laughs> G'day. We'll do some proper intros in a moment. But you tuned into SEO success stories. Thanks for listening to us. We've got someone on today who I've had a bit of a like a, we- a weird connection with over the last few years. That kind of sounds creepy when I say it. Like that. <laughs> But anyway, we do open up every episode with one curly question. I'd like to throw it to you now, Kate. What do you feel is the number one challenge facing SEOs in 2022?
1: I think it's the same thing that's been facing them for a long time, that no one trusts them at all, and that they think they're dodgy. So I think that's the number one problem, building credibility and trust with customers.
0: Yep, that's great. Well, that's a good way to open up and kick off this conversation with Kate Toon. So... Basically, if you listen to this already, you know we talk to SEOs from enterprise brands who are like running the, the overall strategy for those brands. We talk to thought leaders and, and educators. Kate very much sits in that educator, but obviously she's also, also a practitioner. What we're going to be doing today is finding out about her history and her experience, career experience, and and some of her thoughts on where Search is at now, where it's headed. Now, we mentioned this a bit before we started recording, Kate, but Kate has got a very cool school, The Recipe for SEO Success, where she teaches SEO to to marketers and and business owners. So, Kate, how about you give us a bit of a rundown? How did you fall into running your own SEO school? Like, where where did this all start?
1: Well, I worked in an agency. I've worked in agencies most of my life um, as a producer and a copywriter. But when I moved to the UK about, gosh, a long time ago now, 15 or so years ago, I worked for an agency called Advertising.com. who were were then at the cutting edge of all things Google Ads. And really, SEO was just beginning. We really weren't even thinking about SEO in the way that we do now back then. So, you know, it was real cutting-edge stuff that you could kind of manipulate the search engines to show your content Mm -hmm. first. You know, this is real baby steps. So I did some work there. I came back to Australia, and I did some freelance work for brands like Pedigree Chum and uh, some of the big banks in Australia doing keyword research. But also, really, it didn't kick off until I built my own site. When I left the advertising world, I wanted to set up my own business. I put Copywriter into Google, and about a million results came back. And I was like, yeah, maybe I can use my superpower for my own business. So I started to optimize my own site after, you know, maybe for six months I was ranking for two, 300 keywords related to copywriting and top positions. And a lot of my competitors, collaborators, friends were like, how are you doing that? And I'm like, well, it's the same as I do for big business. How can we apply this to small business? And short, sure, slightly long story, but cut to the chase. I ran a few workshops, realized it was impossible to try and teach SEO in a day, in like a workshop you could, you know, touch mm. the, touched the surface but you couldn't really achieve anything and people walked out of those workshops like broken people because they were just overwhelmed with the information so I took that eight-hour workshop and turned it into an eight-week course and, and the rest is history I suppose
0: wow that's cool so what sort of years are we talking about there when you're talking about you know working within the agency and then stepping out and and you know trying to get yourself ranked for copywriter which yes. I love. So you're literally just trying to get yourself copywriting work.
1: Yes, I was to begin with. So yeah. when I worked at advertising.com, that would probably be about 2007, 2008. Yep. When I started, probably a bit earlier, 2006 maybe. And then when I broke out on my own was 2009. So yep. that's when I started to kind of, you know, write a blog post a week because it'll help with your Google rankings. And, you know, all the really, it was so much easier than, gosh, we only had like 10 blue links on the search results, not all this stuff that we have now. So it was, I must admit, yeah. it was easier, way easier back then. But, yeah, so about 2009, and then I launched the recipe for SEO success in 2016.
0: You know what's interesting? We've had some people who've been in SEO for long periods of time, 15, 20 years. I think you're like the first person who's just straight up said it was easier. But like people say it was different. They say, I, I guess, I don't know. Is that like an ego thing or I don't Maybe. know? Like- I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, if there's, yeah. one, if there's one thing I don't have when it comes to SEO is ego. And I think yeah. that's probably something we're going to end up talking about today. The challenges of launching a course uh, when I did, the amount of egos I seemed to bruise by doing that was quite shocking because that you know so many people were of the opinion that it can't be taught that I'd never be able to teach at a level that would be useful and that I was giving away, almost like giving away the secrets. And why would I do that? Because I'm going to undermine the industry. And it's like, "Mm." anyway, uh, a lot of those people have since gone on to try and launch their own courses. So it's quite ironic. But, yeah, I think I do think it was
2: easier. Do you think that was coming from a position of jealousy, perhaps? Like,
1: I mean, to say SEO
2: can't be taught, that, that doesn't even make sense, does it?
1: now but I think back then I don't know I mean again not to kind of turn this into some kind of feminist rampage but back then you know when I was joining it was this was Google Plus back then remember with Google Plus one of those things that Google gave us yeah. and, you know we were in I was in communities there. I was often the only woman in the group and I've always been somebody that likes to ask a lot of questions that likes to question my thinking but I think that was often seen as a sign of weakness so you know if I would go in and say hey you know like this is a this link is a no-follow link, but it still seems to be giving me some authority. What do you think, guys? People would be like, "Ah, oh, you know, you don't know, why are you even asking such a basic question?" And I'm like, "Because it's interesting. Because mm. it's worth discussing." Yeah. So I think there was a bit, a bit of, I don't know, maybe a bit of jealousy, or maybe a bit of assumption that I didn't know what I was talking about, a bit of male bias there. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, now I've been around long enough that I, I don't get that as much as I used to. So it's a bit easier these days.
0: How interesting. I do remember working in the corporate events and experiential marketing space around that time and our site for the business that I was working for ranked really well. And then there were el- algorithm changes and, you know, you'd kind of live or die by those. But there was very much, I remember the founder just saying like, you know, we've got a guy who looks after it. I don't know what he does, but it's a dark art and I don't ask. And that's like code for, I'm pretty sure he's doing dodgy stuff, but I'm just going to stay, you know, a couple of steps back and just let him do his thing.
1: But I think that's a really a myth that's really perpetuated still in this industry, that it isn't Mm. dark art, that there is some kind of secret. You know, even people go as far as to pretend they have some kind of special relationship with Google, which they don't, and that your methodology is dramatically different to everybody else's. And it it isn't really. You know, I've spoken to hundreds of SEOs on my podcast. We're all doing the same thing. Some people are a little bit better at Mm. tech SEO. Others are better at local. Some are better at copy. But... It's not like any of us has a deep secret or we know something that nobody else does, which is follow, following a process. And I wish we'd all be a bit more honest about that. Doesn't mean it's not smart. Doesn't mean it's not clever. Doesn't mean yeah. it's not worth paying for, but it's not a dark art.
2: I think to that point, like if you're a good SEO as well, you want to take the client or your customer along for the journey. So you want to demystify a lot of that process and make sure look, this is. SEO at its core, it's about, you know, making a meaningful product for clients. So, so for searches, so that Google, you know, sees you as worthy of, of appearing in search. It's ideally meant to be a meritocracy. So if you do well and you create good, engaging content, you know, you should, in theory, perform. And once they understand the mechanics behind SEO, hopefully they'll be more motivated when you do present a content strategy or you do talk to them about the importance of links and so on. So I, I think it's a failure to keep clients almost at arm's length when it, when it comes to understanding at least that, you know, the, the one-on-one behind what we do and why we do it. But Kate, I wanted to ask you a question. Like when you started, did SEO look dramatically different? Like what was the industry like, at, you know, when you, when you kind of first, I guess, got involved in SEO?
1: I think when I very first got involved, SEO wasn't even seen as a discipline. You know, it wasn't a thing. Uh, there weren't people known as SEO consultants when I, I mean, I'm talking back in 2007, you know. When I began as a copywriter in 2009, it was very much in its infancy. Like a lot of the agencies which now exist didn't exist, or they were just starting out. I remember two of the guys who's, who own now a now very big agency in Sydney. I met with them in like a cupboard in Surrey Hills, and now they have this huge agency. So, you know, it was very much in its beginning. In, in its beginning stages, SEO as a as a discipline, as, as I said, I do think it was easier. I mean, we've had, obviously, since two thousand and nine, probably hundreds and thousands of algorithm updates, which have made it more complicated. That, in its very nature, shows that it was easier back in the day, right? Because we didn't yeah. have to jump through penguin and panda hoops, and didn't have to think about hummingbird and bird. So, yeah, I think it wasn't a thing, and I think, unfortunately, it one of the biggest problems for SEO and SEO consultants is it didn't brand itself very well. It didn't think Mm. about the values very well. And so as a whole industry, it had a bad reputation from the get-go. And I think, unfortunately, for good SEOs, of course there are thousands of good SEOs, we're always fighting an uphill battle uh, to prove that A, we're not nefarious, dodgy humans, and B, that SEO can actually be a really great strategy, marketing strategy for your business. So, yeah, unfortunately, I think, we needed someone to come in in the beginning and, and, and sell it better. <laughs> and we're still making up for the mistakes people made in those early days.
0: It was kind of its own worst enemy or the, the practitioners were their own worst enemy. And a lot of it is, I guess, you know, for people like yourself who are like, well, maybe I'll teach people how to do it. You know, there, there's that that insecurity that, okay, well, maybe then I won't be worth as much. So maybe that, you know, I don't share as much about what happens and I'll just throw a lot of jargon out there and, and a lot of technical terms and I'll just leave me alone to do my work and, and you know and make my money
1: it's exactly what gabe was saying that some uh, seo consultants don't take time to take their client through it so the client never fully understands what they're paying for and if you don't understand what you're paying for you don't trust it you know if you don't if you can't see behind the curtain and and see the workings Mm. out you can't trust it and you know i think in the early days as i said there was a bit of people feeling threatened by education but what my course does Mm. is produce beautiful clients Really, clients who really appreciate their SEO agency because when they see how hard it is and how much work is involved, they're like, ah, oh, now I get why it costs what it costs. But until then, they just didn't understand. So, they're like, why am I being charged three grand a month for essentially nothing? Whereas I produce the most willing, beautiful, and, and happy clients for SEOs like you.
2: <laughs> Kate, do you remember what kind of resources were you working with back when you started?
1: Gosh. There weren't any of the tools that exist today. There were no SEM rushes, no Ahrefs. I was a big fan of Moz. That was the Hmm. tool that I used back in the day. I don't think it has quite the same market share now, but gosh, I learned a lot from Rand Fishkin's Whiteboard Fridays. And it was a lot of kind of forums. As I said, that Google Plus forum, although it had its negatives, it was a lot of SEOs talking to each other about what worked and what didn't. You know, Google's communication of of what they're doing and what's their priorities is bad today. It's was appalling back then. These are in the days of Matt, you know, <laughs> Matt, who was doing all the videos back then, now we have John Mueller. I think Google's doing a much better job of educating us. But back in the day, there wasn't much. It was a bit of Moz, a bit of communities, and yeah, believing what Google told us because we didn't have any, <laughs> anywhere else to go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think we were all kind of, um, or at least I can speak for myself, almost brought up on those Rand Fishkin whiteboard Fridays, weren't we? So much information You just get front. I think there's been lots of imitations since, but nothing better than the original.
1: Yeah, he was great. He was actually the first guest on my podcast, and in truth, I didn't actually have a podcast. I just wanted to talk to Rand Fishkin. <laughs> just an a, excuse
2: to talk to Rand. Why not?
1: Exactly. A bit of a bit of a fangirl, to be honest. Uh, and he just had a great way of explaining things. In an easy to understand way, you know this is what we're talking about, right? Like some people overcomplicate, use jargon, use acronyms, and look—you have to call it a spade of spades. Schema is schema; you you have to call it schema. But yeah. you know, he had a great way of breaking it down into a way that normal humans could understand, um, even back then. So yeah.
2: Okay, you probably get this question a lot, you know, in your course when you're dealing with small business owners, and they're asking, you know, what are the first actions that I should be taking, or maybe in the first three months of a campaign. You know where should i be spending my time to try and get my website up to scratch what do you think are some of the basics or fundamentals that you know people should be considering in the first three months of the campaign
1: Well, you know, the the actual course is structured in in a way, because as I said, I don't think there's a secret, but I do think there's a process. So the first thing I do is educate them on like how search engines work, you know, literally what is a bot? What is the algorithm? You know, some of the updates, some of the things Google's looking for, the 200 ranking factors. I'm doing air fingers because, you know, 200 is a bit of a broad thing. So understanding fundamentally the landscape. And then the first thing we get into is the tech. So, you know, ensuring that your site is fast, that, you know, it is responsive, it's crawlable. These days, you know, making sure that you've taken account of core web vitals, you know, choosing a better hosting platform, maybe moving away from that horrible theme that you bought, deleting the 72 plugins that you installed and you don't know what they do. Because, you know, I found people who have been blogging for an entire year only to realize that when the developer built their site they checked the no index box in wordpress and so nothing's being indexed you know or mm-hmm. their robots.txt is broken or their sitemap is not working so we do always do the tech first because no amount of good copy is going to out you know outperform a badly performing site so it's all tech to begin with that's what i would focus on in the first you know month, and then after that, really digging into keyword research in a meaningful way, you know most people write their content without any focus at all, and when you're like, "What would someone type into Google to find this piece of content?" they're like, "Oh, I don't know, so even just making them consider the audience is the next step, and then you know. Even in those early weeks, I'd be starting to look at their backlink profile and saying, great, you've got this amazing site, but there's not a single link to it on the whole of the internet. So maybe we could start building a few backlinks as we go. So yeah, those are kind of the three pillars, tech, uh, keywords and backlinks where I start.
2: Absolutely agree. And I think, especially if you're a small business owner and you're kind of managing things on your own, one of the probably easiest and quickest and freest things that you can do is just the basics around optimizing your Google My Business page. I mean, how many people forget to do that, put up a few images, make sure your opening hours, your address and contact details are up to date, and that you're trying to elicit reviews from, you know, some customers that good experiences, all that goes a long way to building your credibility and building a little bit of a brand for yourself in search.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I deal with a lot of e-commerce customers. So Google My Business isn't an option for many of those because they don't really have a storefront. But yeah, service-based businesses, especially local businesses who are really going up, you know, they don't want to dominate the whole of Australia. They just want to be the number one in Wollongong. Google My Business is absolutely, you know, the way to go.
0: Hey, I've got a question without notice here. I'm just curious when you're talking about copywriters, do you feel Like, because obviously at heart and you started as a copywriter, you probably still think of yourself as a copywriter, just knows a lot of other stuff. Do you feel like there is a big chasm between a copywriter and an SEO copywriter? Like, does an SEO copywriter need to get taught earlier? Like, sorry, I've just walked on your answer. Go.
1: No, 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 I do. I think I can't actually abide copywriters who say, Yeah, I can write your website copy, but I don't understand SEO. Well then don't write my website copy. What are you talking about? But I think there's also a chasm between SEO copywriters and, and people who actually understand SEO because you know, an SEO copywriter can take a list of keywords given to them by a search engine company and plonk them into the copy. But what a real SEO copywriter do would, would be to question those keywords. And even if they're the right keywords, you know, look at the context, look at the intent, look at the groupings of those keywords. But more than that, they would actually go back and question the strategy and say, why are we writing yeah. blog posts about teeth when your site takes 25 seconds to load? Or why are we writing blog posts when you've got no backlinks, maybe a better investment for your money right now would be to build some content on other people's sites. So unfortunately, I think a lot of SEO copywriters think they can write SEO copy in a vacuum without mm-hmm. learning the tech, the measurement, you know, the, the, the key KPIs and all the other stuff. And I go, like, oh, no, I just do the words. Well, the words aren't going to help you if everything else is flawed. So there's a lot of chasms. But yes, and I can't abide SEO copywriting courses that don't teach the tech. Because if you don't understand the tech, I feel like there's a fundamental, you don't have to do the tech, you don't have to be an SEO consultant, but you need to understand the principles, you know, even I'm babbling now, but, you know, thinking about homepage structure and where you position the content, and you're thinking about core web vitals, and you've got some massive image at the top, that's taking 10 seconds to load, is that the best use of the page, you know, the terms you use in your navigation, your error messaging, all of that influences ranking, so, yeah. It's all it's, oh, you can see. It's my pet pet hate. I can't bear, not just copywriters, but SEO copywriters who really don't know a damn thing about SEO. It drives me crazy.
0: I think that's a great point because are you just putting keywords in that someone told you to put in there? Or do you actually, can like there needs to be a depth of understanding there. Otherwise, it's not actually going to rank or it's not actually going to be generating useful traffic.
1: Yeah, even just understanding basic intent. You know, this is a conversion transactional keyword. This is an informational keyword phrase. You know, if you don't even understand that and you're shoving conversion keywords into blog posts and informational keywords into sales pages, it, it, yeah, drives me crazy.
0: (laughs) So probably something else that drives you crazy. What's, What's your thoughts on like Jarvis and, you know, the AI copywriting platforms that are out there?
1: No, I'm not, I'm not averse to them because I think one of the hardest things about being a writer is the blank page. And I think often Jarvis and the other tools can help you, you know, come up with some basic bullet points. But, you know, I don't think they're at the level yet where they can replace a copywriter because, you know, robots – I've watched Terminator, and until the last one, um, yeah. he, wasn't, he wasn't very funny. You know, good old Carl in the last one. Have you seen the last one? It's really good. You know, he doesn't get idiom. He doesn't get slang. He doesn't get humor. He doesn't get asides. He doesn't get that knowingness, you know, of what it's like to work with an accountant and the insights and the challenges and the preconceived beliefs. He can can germ- pump out some copy about bass and end-of-year tax that ticks all the robot boxes, but it doesn't make a connection with the customer. It doesn't feel relatable. Mm. Um, and also, often with copy, even with good copywriters, it's the messaging order that's wrong. You know, you've come in with the wrong first argument or the wrong pain point or you've come up with a really broad pain point that appeals to everybody but not to your niche. So the messaging can be wrong as well or can be in the wrong order. So I think they're great and I think they're going to get more and more sophisticated. But I think we're a long way away from them replacing a good writer.
0: Yeah, I must admit that's an interesting part I can never get my head around. Like how do they structure a narrative? Like are they actually going from the start? Okay, what's the arc here of how I'm going to deliver it? The and then do I hit those points along the way. Yep. Yeah,
1: and we know how important storytelling is. And, you know, there's a whole part of the algorithm eat, you know, expertise, authority and trust, which is about building relationships with our customers and making them believe that we are who we say we are and that we're earnest human beings. Just not sure robots can do that just yet.
2: I'm so glad you asked that question because that was going to be my follow up question, Russ. Uh, I, was gonna, I always love bringing up AI in these podcasts for some reason. Um, my take has always been that you know like we shouldn't be afraid of the technology we should embrace it and it's going to get better over time but you know it's virtually impossible to completely replace the human element so but to be able to work with a tool and treat it as a tool that you can then build on and refine you know by tweaking and taking the good parts stripping out the bad parts to create something that is hopefully going to be better than were you to just try and create the same version yourself or at least maybe more efficient, if not better.
1: Good copywriters use tools like that. We use Hemingway app to check our readability. We use like, you know, Hub HubSpots. Uh, title generation tools to give us some starter ideas. You know, yes, yes, as you said, Gabe, we should embrace these tools and get them. They, they, They start us off. They may not be the end result, but they often give us some thought starters. You know, it's hard coming up with great copy. The thing, the place where I feel like automation and AI does have a role is in bulk creation of copy. You know, like maybe creating smart title tags, decent meta descriptions based on, you know, add triggers and stuff. I think that could save some people some time. And to be honest, let's be honest, some people are technical people. They're not copywriters. So if you are really not a writer in any way, shape or form, then maybe Jarvis is, is going to do a better job than you can do. Not necessarily better than a copywriter, but if you can't afford a copywriter, Jarvis is a good alternative.
2: Kate, I'm going to change tack for a moment. What are some of the, the kind of biggest hurdles that you feel you've had to overcome in your, in your career as an SEO?
1: I think a lot of imposter syndrome. I think that the SEO world mm. can be very bitchy, considering it's mostly men. I find that quite amusing. Very bitchy, very very competitive. There's a lot of chest beating and rah rahness, I feel. Um and everyone wants to be out there, you know, saying that they've come up with this new notion or this new idea. So it can that, that I found quite intimidating when I when I started off. I think now there are a lot more women in SEO, but you know, ten years ago there were Literally none, so that was very challenging as well. Being, you know, the only woman in, in a very male dominated space, and I think one of the, and I'm going to be perfectly transparent about this. You know, when I started the course, SEO is vast. And there was this fear fear at the beginning that I'd have to know everything about everything. And I think even you guys would say that you have areas of speciality. You can't be a deep dive, fantastic local SEO person and also be an amazing deep dive e-commerce SEO person. There's quite a lot of different things to learn. So that was one of the reasons I started my podcast. Because I was like, I know that I don't know everything. I know that I have gaps to fill. But rather than sitting here feeling like an imposter, I'm going to actually talk to some of the smartest people in the world about SEO and then absorb their information and ask them the questions that I have. So I think that's it. Just the vastness, the egos, and the, therefore the imposter, imposter syndrome that that develops in you. You know that You don't know enough, but you'll never know enough, really.
0: That's really interesting about, I can't remember if we said it on air or not, but our podcast has got a very similar name. Yours has been around longer than longer than ours, so I apologize. <laughs> but it was the same deal for us. Like Gabe and I have just had this relationship where if I think about something SEO wise, I'll just shoot him a message. We had, we had another little video series called Ask Gabe, where it was just the stuff that I would think of, at, you know, two in the morning on a, on a Saturday morning and, and shoot it off to him. And we did little videos on that. And then we just started going, imagine like if we get someone else's perspective and someone else's perspective. And that's what I do love about SEO. The fact that, I mean, you've got a lot of people out there who are very happy to share their opinion on things, which is great. But also, you know, it's inherently full of really curious people just trying to figure out how this machine works. And I find it really fascinating getting like getting into their brains and just hearing some of the angles that that clever people take to try to get to, we're all trying to, you know, achieve the same thing, but there's just so many different angles to, to take.
1: There is, and just that reassurance of being able to talk. You know, I wish I'd had a Gabe back in the day to just be able to talk to someone and say, "Look, I've looked at this, and I think it's doing this. What do you think?" And they, and and yeah. most of the time they'll go, "Yeah, yeah, I, I I draw exactly the same conclusion." But we all need a bit of affirmation. It can be quite lonely. A lot of SEO consultants work solo, um, or they're in environments where they don't feel that they can kind of show their their vulnerability or the the bits that they don't know. Yeah. So having people. And once you do get chatting, most SEOs are so happy to share their know-how. Everybody I've had on the show has been amazingly generous with their know-how. But, yeah, in the world of Twitter and and whatever, it can be quite hard to go out there with questions. So, yeah, Um, I, I think it's getting better. I think it's getting more open, and I think there's more information sharing. And it's podcasts like yours and mine. Don't mind that we have similar names. It's a good name that help, I think, and help normal people as well now, i'm saying we mm. are not normal um you know just your <laughs> joe blow accountant in you know brisbane who doesn't necessarily have the time to learn everything about seo and can't afford an seo agency but just wants to learn some basics like why not why can't we help those people you know good karma
2: <laughs> absolutely you, you said before that You know, it's sometimes really hard SEO, such a growing field to be an expert in every aspect of SEO. We're starting to see a little bit of a trend now, I think, where you've got people that will maybe specialize in technical SEO and they'll call themselves technical SEOs or or people that really love content strategy and are more in that space. What's your take on this? Is that just a a schism that, that crops up every couple of years? Do you think it's necessary to be kind of a generalist or is there room for people to specialize in certain aspects of SEO practice?
1: I actually, you know, I'm, if I put my copywriter hat on, I know that niching is the key to being a successful copywriter. We always pay more for a specialist than we do for a GP. So, you know, if you are, I think everyone needs a baseline of general knowledge. And that was an important thing for me to kind of accept within my course that I couldn't teach everything. So what was going to be the baseline and where did it end? Like, I don't teach international SEO on my course. I don't teach some of the more hardcore tech stuff because most sites don't need it. So I had to create a boundary of what was generalist copywriting. And then I have a separate e-commerce course and a separate local SEO course and a separate WordPress SEO course because I think, I do believe you can't be good at everything. I mean, some people are, some people are geniuses, but the average person just doesn't have the time to keep up on the trends on every single thing and play and experiment you know to be a true e-commerce seo you probably have to have built a shopify site a wordpress site you know you have to be able to play and fiddle around and you have to have different brands how can you do all of that and also be a genius at local seo and a great copywriter mm-hmm. and understand all the tech and then build the site from the back forward i just think it's i i couldn't do that i'd, I'd be exhausted but i am much older than you so maybe you young things can uh, do all of that but uh yeah i think As I said, I think in terms of being a successful and profitable SEO, niching is great. I have a guy that I refer all my local stuff to. And that's the first thing I think of whenever I think of local is his name, because he's just gone deep into that. He brands about that. He talks about that. He's on podcasts about that. And so he is front of mind for me. So whether it's necessarily about delivering, it's about you being able to get in front of the right people and to deliver the best service. Um, I think there's a place for both generalists and specialists. So I would say I'm a generalist with a copy start, but I think there's a I think there's space for everybody. That sounds very magnanimous, doesn't it? But yeah,
0: <laughs> no, that, that makes sense. Like, and I think I mean obviously there needs to be a baseline of generalist understanding. And like you're right, like especially like if you can go deep in one of those, especially SEO. Like it, it, there are really Like, you have to really understand content and like the psychology of why people are, you know, taking in what they're taking in. But at the same time, your site needs to be able to load quickly and do all the things that it needs to do. So there needs to be both. But I'm I'm curious. So, given that there are a range of different strengths that you need to double down on, what do you think are like key skills for the next generation of SEOs coming through? Like, if I feel like if you had said this to, to Gabe five years ago, he'd have a very different answer to what he would now. So, I'm curious what you think now are the key skills for SEOs.
1: I think you mentioned one already, curiosity. You have to be someone mm. that invo- and lo- loves digging deep into quite nerdy topics. And, and I think you have to be a problem solver. You have to enjoy the struggle, not just the results. But I think mm. moving forward, look, oh, you know, and I sound quite negative, but I don't mean to. I think there was a bit of a snake oil approach to SEO. Um, totally. You know, you why know, boys started SEO agencies so they could buy themselves a nice car. I think these days it's really important to be a good people person. To be yep. relatable, to be honest, to be transparent, to be able to communicate well. and unfortunately you know, I've worked in advertising for years, I've worked with a lot of tech people and they can be geniuses, genii, but they're not great at communicating what they're doing to other people. you know the two things often don't go together. So if you having that curiosity, that problem solving, that kind of expansive brain that's interested, but also being able to communicate that to normal people is a challenge, I think. So, relatability, I, I think, is going to be the key. I mean, I'm big into personal branding. We know branded search is huge. It's so hard to compete in the search results these days. At least try and compete mm. with your own brand. So, creating a, a personal brand where people aren't searching for you know, SEO expert, they're searching for Gabe, they're searching for Russ. And why are they searching for you? Because you share interesting content in a relatable way. I think that's the key for most SEOs these days, which might not be what most people expect you know
0: that is interesting and it's something which has come up again and again in our podcast just the the separator of the we've all met the the genius seo who likes to be you know cre- like just huddled over in a dark room by themselves just writing amazing code and doing all those things the separator for the great seos are the ones you can communicate what they're doing why it's working well and why i need more resource to get you more of this yeah you know like so that's the, like the Just the cluiest SEOs that we're talking to are just really great at either being that champion for what they do or being able to leverage other champions within their business so that they can really maximise what they do as an SEO.
1: Yeah, I mean, the best marketers always win, right? The best sales people yep. always win. And I think in a way that's gone the wrong way because you can also sell a great game with SEO but can you back it up with the technical nows? You know, and I think in the, in the previous sort of five to six years, there's been a lot of people making big promises and not being able to deliver. But I think it's evening out now. So you have to be a good marketeer, a people person, tech savvy, and a work <laughs> yeah. person. Oh, my God, there's a lot, yeah? And that's why I think <laughs> yeah. you know, an agency model does work really, really well because you can have your huddled over techs. We're not going to sweeping generalization mm. there, but you know what I mean? And then you can have your front of yeah, house. Yeah. but uh, And you can have people playing to their strengths because it's hard to be all things to all
0: people. One last question before Gabe throws into his uh, Vox Pop. I was curious, are there any non-obvious software tools? We talked about how, you know, years ago there was no tools. You had Moz, you had Google itself, and, you know, probably a bunch of spreadsheets and all like trying to figure stuff out. Now there's a plethora of tools that we use, SEMrush and Ahrefs and, um, you know, all sorts of things, Screaming Frog. What I'm curious though, are there any non-obvious tools that you like to use that people would go, oh, wow, K2 News, is that? That's interesting. Uh,
1: probably not. You know, I, I will say that I, I find the tools helpful as a starter, but the best place that I find the results is in Google itself, in Google Search Console. And, you know, actually seeing what happens in the results, you know, that the classic I always have is, oh, you know, but I'm in position one in SEM Rush, but I'm not getting any click through. And then you actually go to the search results and there's four ads, there's a local pack. There's some people, people also ask, and they're really in position 11. And that's why I, I think people would be surprised how little I use the tools. I think that that would be the surprise, and how much I am actually just in Google, and also from a copywriting perspective, you know, I'm still a a Microsoft Word girl. There are lots of readability tools, there are lots of AI tools, but I'd be you'd be surprised how much time I spend just talking to customers and putting that into Word. You know, it's it's the basics, back to basics. So, yeah, as I mentioned, I think Hemingway app is really good for improving your readability if you haven't used that. You know, I love really quickly to do just tell clients really quick wins i love seo meta in one click which is just a little google chrome toolbar that looks at some basics because you've got to remember that 95 percent of the people who come on my course it's not the complicated stuff that they're not not moving two percent up in their core web vitals score for first input delay they are trying to get their site down from 24 seconds they don't have any types yep. of things, you know. They've named all their images one point seven two jpeg. You know, it's the basics they haven't done, not the super pointy end stuff.
0: Thanks, Gabe. Gabe, go for it.
2: We're ready for my famous vox pop, <laughs> the favorite part of every <laughs> podcast, where I'm going to shoot some questions at you, quick fire style, and it's first thing that pops into your brain.
1: Oh, how terrifying! Okay,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I promise it's not so bad. All right, which previous Google algorithm change still keeps you up at night?
1: All but. Because it's the language one and just the way that Google's getting better and better at processing language is slightly terrifying. But yes, that's the one.
2: Some of these questions, I really feel like I know the answer, but I'm still going to fire away. <laughs> Gun to your head. What do you prefer? Content or links?
1: Uh, for quick action, links.
2: Well, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> okay, I like it. All right. What's the most effective link building technique you've used?
1: I like to call it good karma SEO. So I go out there and I give love to people. I write testimonials, I leave reviews, I give money to charity and you know, get that good PR love. So you're helping someone out, if you get a link back, well it's good karma both ways.
2: Is the skyscraper technique still relevant today?
1: Yeah, I think it is. I think you can feel slightly wobbly, too high skyscrapers. I think you know, just adding more words in to try and please the algorithm or just make it a, a mega post I don't know about you, but I've saved those posts and then I never read them. There's a lot to be said. (laughs) There's a lot to be said for, you know, a 500 word blog post that solves one problem really, really well. So yes, I still think it's relevant, but I think with everything, people take it too far. You know, that 8,000 word mega post, it took you a long time to produce, looks good to your boss, no one's going to read it.
2: What do you love most about SEO?
1: I think it's exactly what you both have mentioned on this uh, call, the curiosity, you know, the the, the fact that it is always changing and and that there's always new things to learn I, i love to learn new things but also for me seeing the transformation seeing somebody who maybe has a little shop selling soap and they've never sold anything and they make a few changes based on doing my course and they start to get sales and that's life changing so the fact that Google and search engine optimization can have such an impact on people's revenue and therefore their lives more than any more than Instagram, whatever, you know, TikTok, reels, wheels, whatever. <laughs> SEO is where it's at. And if people just invest the time in it, gosh, it can be life changing. So yeah, I think
2: that. How do you apply SEO principles to your daily life?
1: Oh, gosh i don't think i do uh like most people you know i'm i don't know what that means do i live my life in spreadsheets am i always thinking about backwards so I'm always, i think I, I i approach life in a content focused way i tell you this is embarrassing but sometimes something will happen and i'll be thinking about how i will write this up as a social media yeah. update. you know well this happened and then this happens so i think i'm always You know, people always be hustling, always be pitching. I'm always be content marketing in my head. So that's that's mine.
2: Well, I don't know if this applies so much to you, given that you have the luxury of working from home all the time. But where do you stand on work from home life, office life or hybrid life?
1: Uh, I'm all about work from home. I've always worked from home. It's fantastic. My commute is two minutes across my back lawn. I like going into the city now and again so I can wear an outfit and buy lunch. But other than that, I'm, I'm home. I just think, and I'm so, I think that's one of the best things to come out of this weird last two years. It's been, an, it's accepted now, whereas it was an oddity before. So yeah, I'm, I'm a home, home pod.
2: Love that, couldn't agree more. Rush <laughs> or Ahrefs, what's your favorite?
1: Oh, it's a hard one. I'm an affiliate of Rush and I'm sponsored by Ahrefs. So I, oh. I uh, uh, so look. You know, for me, a- A-H-R-S- uh, uh Sorry, hrS God, that was hard when like, there was doing sponsorships. I kept on saying that Ahrefs saved me when I got negative SEOs. So, you know, when it back when it was really more about backlinks than anything else, it saved my life, so I'll always be grateful. SEMrush, I think, is an amazing tool with so many capabilities, 98% of which I never use. So, yeah, you know, I- I'm a big fan of WooRank. Uh, it's basic biscuit. So basic. Really? And my... People who do my course, it generates like a five, six-page report that is just totally gettable, you know. It has difficulty ratings on each thing to fix and impact ratings. I'm a big fan of it. It's basic, but it's a great starting point before you leap into one of those more expensive, more comprehensive tools.
2: And just to round us out, agency, in-house or combo?
1: God, that's hard. uh, I'm I'm probably going to say combo. I think there's so many benefits of agency because you've got all these minds thinking about it. I think often in-house you have one person and that's very hard. We've just talked about the loneliness of SEO and and we all need a Gabe to be able to ask questions to. In-house you often don't have that Gabe and you're just on your own. But I think as well, in-house and agency can cause a lot of conflict as well because the in-house person thinks they know what they're doing with agency and it can be a bit clashy. So if I had the money and it was my company, I'd go agency.
0: Kate, thanks so much. That's been a, a, just an awesome conversation, really candid, really appreciate just the energy and enthusiasm for, for SEO and everything you've done in your career. Recipe for SEO success, that's the name of the school, that's the name of the podcast, that's that's where it's at. Any closing comments, Kate, before we sign off?
1: No, I just think, you know, I, I think your audience is going to be very savvy and, and on it, but I think the message that's come through for me for this podcast is the encouragement to help other people find SEO more accessible and you think that and, and it, that in no way detracts from your business. It's not going to make you earn less money. Ultimately, it will make you earn more money because the more people who get that SEO works and get what it is and trust it, the more customers, SEO consultants are going to have.
0: Cool. Well, that's SEO success stories. Another episode wrapped up. If you've enjoyed it, you know what we always say, just jump on. Write us a review, tell everyone, tell your grandma. SEO success stories, it's very similar to recipe for SEO success. If you do a Google for one or the other, they might both come up. Just write us both a five-star review. (laughs) Thanks, Kate, for joining us. Thanks, Gabe. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much, Kate. Take
1: care, guys.